You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just gotta turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. P- please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. You could save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, but when we just come out and say it, it feels like it falls a bit flat. So instead, we're going to have someone else say it. Because for some reason, when a random person talks about how great something is in a commercial, it's more believable. I saved with a Progressive Home and Auto Bundle. And there you have it. I mean, I'm not sure why she's more believable than me, but either way, you get the point about the saving. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. Oh my gosh, they're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes all running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. This is Ross Coulthard and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. On the third morning in Sarcio, Bermudez died. Three days later, he was taken to hospital in Bogota. He was taken to hospital in Bogota where Dr. Luis E. Martinez Garcia, for your audience, did the autopsy and said he had appeared to have been exposed to high levels of radiation. This is all recorded. He suspected it may have come from the ground. The body was buried and three days later, the government of Bogota got news of this body that had been apparently exposed to radiation and they looked further at the doctor's autopsy and it showed that the doctor also noted that he had suffered signs of extreme hypothermia. And when the government saw this hypothermia, they're like, we're in Tolima and Colombia, no one's dying. That would be like someone dying of heat exhaustion in Glasgow, right? It's just not going to happen. So they petitioned to the wife of the dead man, Asercio, to exhume his body. They were fascinated with what this thing might have been. And the wife wouldn't allow the body to be taken away. At this week when the body died, Dan, you can you can possibly tell me what this work stands for. APRO. You know APRO, the aerial phenomenon, the research organization? It was founded at the same time as Blue Book yes. in England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember what uh, it stands for, but if you give me a second, I can find it. 
Yeah, I'm sure it's the Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization. However, let me go on. Agents John Simon and Agent Elias Wesson flew into Colombia on behalf of Blue Book for the American Air Force. So the American Air Force are involved, and they're there for three or four days, and then those two agents vanish, gone, as if the case never happened, okay? So after this, all this happening in one week, nothing was ever heard of. This was it. The case was down. This becomes one of Colombia's most legendary UFO cases. The world was convinced that the that the family, that, that Mauricio Nego and Acercio, who died, had been visited by something bizarre. Six years later, in 1975, a tradition in Colombia is, after six years of being buried, your bones are moved to a family crew, a family um, burial vault. So Acercio's body was exhumed six years later, and they opened the coffin. Acercio's body was gone. Nobody to today, this represents one of Colombia's biggest open cold cases, cold cases. Nobody knows where Acercio's body went. Nobody knows who stole it. But what's suspected is that John Simon and Elias Wesson from APRO working for the, I mean, they're working for the Air Force. Who else could leverage or pay or lube for a body to be taken from a Bogota cemetery and out of the country or vanished? So to today, everybody's absolutely mesmerized with what might have happened. So here's the thing. Before we start, let's, let's go back a bit. The chief astronomer at the planet at the planetarium in Bogota, his name at Bogota, the chief astronomer at the planetarium, his name is I'm gonna get that back. It's Herman Puerto Respuesto. Six months ago was interviewed about this. This is what he said. I mean, this is like your top guy of NASA standing up, Ted, whatever his name was, right? So Herman stands up and he goes. I believe it's possibly a coincidence that a Sercio died at the same week as this phenomenon was seen. And he believes that maybe a Cersei was bitten by an insect that caused all of these effects and that maybe that, that it was a coincidence. However, do you know what he said, which is just, that's why you can't be a skeptic in this country openly, it's dangerous. He said, but while that might have been an insect, what this case represents is an absolute 100% evidential proof of a phenomenon that has haunted our country for centuries. And he truly believes that there is a phenomenon, that the family did experience a phenomenon, just as described. It's brilliant. What happened was, the, would you believe this? The APRO investigators interviewed all of the children in Bogota in a hospital. They gave them regression, and they made them draw pictures of the UFOs, which you can get if you Google this. They're great. They're these, just as just as I described, a circular it's a circular device with another circle like forming the disc shape. But he's convinced that there's a phenomenon current and present, at least in Colombia, that those people experience, that people have experienced for since indigenous times, these the spirits and the gods of the indigenous cultures, which we're going to come to very, very soon, are virtually proto-manifestations of the same thing that's been seen today or experienced today. So, so there we go. This is our first Project Blue Book case of Colombia, the death, which is quite cool because 
if it, let's just go for it, it, it it's in its wildest and widest um, interpretations, if it was a UFO, it represents the first time a fellow's been killed by one. Do you think within that story and uh, the gentleman who came out, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name from uh, the head of astronomy. Was that the position? Yeah, yeah, yes. Right now, he's currently the director of the the, the planetarium in Bogota, and his name is Herman Puerta Respueto, currently on TV. And he's he's quite open. He saves himself, and he's very quick to say, "I don't feel the need to involve aliens." But we quite clearly are dealing with a phenomenon. Do you think Herman is is trying to play both sides of the coin to say, look, I truly believe there is a phenomenon at play here, and that keeps in line with the culture and what people think, and probably truly what he thinks. But also, he's trying to quell people's fears that these objects can potentially be fatal, whether accidentally or not, and and play off that the death could have been an insect bite but there's still very much something happening. Do you think there's a possibility of that? If he says outright that it was anything but an insect bite, that he, he's not going to be the head of the planetarium next year, right? Sure. He's, going to, he's going to be me at UP Columbia for an editing job. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we'll never know what people believe personally themselves, but when you, Here's the thing. So Massive Jazz, this television channel, this station, once a week comes on, it tackles. See, here's the thing. It's not just UFOs or aliens here. We have, like, they'll have an hour and a half episode on Lost Nordicos, the Nordic aliens. Then it's going to be Nazi UFOs. They've got really, really niche things that they spend a lot of time going into. And here's the thing. Like me appearing on Ancient Aliens, the head of the planetariums appearing on Massive Jazz, where he's appearing beside complete ovni UFO believers and crazy, not crazy, that's a terrible thing to say, and people who are just wholeheartedly into the spiritual ghost, spiritual phenomenon. So he's playing in that arena. He can't be a, he's not, like, you're never going to see Neil deGrasse Tyson playing in that arena. You know, he's obviously committed to or has a lenience towards people like us, people who love talking about all this stuff and discussing it. Then, then, those who always like to find Moscow's. Dan, you've been quiet far too long, and that's that's I'm captivated. I'm absolutely captivated by these stories. That that one was, I mean, it sounds like the opening of an X Files episode, doesn't it? And and I get why you you picked that one because yeah, if if one aspect of that story is true, then that's a huge event. This was um part of a series of sightings in the 1960s. Now I know in 1969, like 1969, it was a seminal year because you had, was it not Carter had his UFO experience that year too? Did he not announce to the pop, American population that he's Carter? And then you had the famous, the Berkshire UFO incident in America that was in the same months as this, which was virtually the same thing. One of the earliest and most famous now cases where you had a family in a car who were approached by a similar-sized disc-shaped metallic object. And here's something really cool. So the earliest UFO sighting in Colombia is 1957, which is 12 years before that. Now, this is just puts my mind on fire. In the Caribbean coast, there was a joint Colombian-American naval exercise. And there was just one line was recorded, and it was... The lead ship 
returned to Cartagena with many reports of a fleet of spheres above the hull. That was it. And it was investigated by Blue Book. It wasn't included in Blue Book, but I know it was inve- it was it was involved in some way. Because if you Google, if you were to Google traditional or oldest Colombian UFO cases, you get this 1957 thing that happened on the Cartagena coast with spheres above the hull. What I find magic about that is that's not a light. That's not a light phenomenon. That a sphere is a sphere is a sphere, right? It's a solid it's object, not yeah. Spherical light or ball lightning. It wasn't that. It was spheres, and I think that was beautiful because now on the west coast of Colombia, in Medellin and Cali, spheres are reported a lot. It, it seems to be the let's call it the phenomenon for the moment, but the phenomenon takes different shapes in different regions of Colombia, where people in Cali and Cartagena, and all the way down to that right the southwest coast do report seeing these silver and white spheres. And bizarrely, there you go, all their video foam footage and stuff that they send us are spherical white spheres. And then they aren't, though, from Bogota. It's different. It stops happening in Bogota. So you think to yourself, there's a mass delusion, psychosis, mass hysteria. We're projecting what we have inside out. Wouldn't you think that would be the same in Bogota as it is on the West Coast? But isn't it interesting that the video foam footages of these different UFOs and UAP are different in different regions? I think that's that, that makes me chew. I chew on that a lot, thinking, why would that be the case if they weren't photographing something? However, I should say that there's, there is sphere tech, you know. There are... There is sphere tech, but these things, what, back in 1957? No, I don't think so. I don't think we had flying spherical balls back in 1957. So so that was, that again, that's, so those are two cases, but I should maybe do is, um, do you know something, and can I give you, can I tell you another story that's connected to that last one directly? On you go, Ash. Right, great. So I'm just going to get my case notes out, like just put this in the right perspective. So this is known as the Pasca Caballos UFO case. Right. So in the summer of 2011, on the north coast of Colombia, beside the famous port of Cartagena, there's a small fishing village called Pasca Caballos. And for six weeks in the summer of 2011, all of the fishing people, all of the fishermen had reported a large blue light that appeared in the sky around 7 p.m. every evening. By 11 p.m., it was distorting all the television sets up the edge of the river. The Rio del Dije. So this lasted for six weeks in 2011. Then it wasn't seen again. This went down as a UFO sighting. Only UFO. That's all it existed as at that time. This mysterious blue ovni. The beginning of May 2014, the blue UFO returns. And what was brilliant was someone got a photograph of it and they posted it and it made all the newspapers because it was there every night again. It was coming back at seven, this large blue disc-shaped UFO that again started to distort people's TV sets. So I was, I was reading about this three years ago and myself and the wife went off to Cartagena, off up to that port. And we were there for three weeks, eh, for two weeks. 
And I was dare tempted a day to get on a boat and take it out to this Pascacabajos River to see where it, where, what the conditions were at this river, where this this reported UFO was. Turns out that it's one of the most dangerous rivers in Colombia, if not the world, that's controlled by some of the worst narco traffickers, narco terrorists that you can that, that that is known of the cartels. So anyway, we did get a taxi out to it. We saw the conditions; pretty run-down place. This is a real tribal area. This is the only way to call it. People live in really, really solemn means and quite strange. I thought to myself that an interplanetary visitor would choose to park itself above basket cabajos. It's not much there. However, having the connection that it was exceptionally dangerous got me to go and research the specific dates and timings of the UFO and listen to what I discovered. The UFO was last seen on the 14th of July, 2014. So I got researching what happened just before and just after that. And what I discovered was this. On the 16th, no, it was the 12th of July, 2014. It was last seen on the 14th of July. USS America, $2.6 billion largest warship ever built, pulled into Cartagena. I reckon the US military had put some kind of crazy, listen to this, metal detecting drone over the Pascacabajos River. And there's why. Drugs cartels use what are called cocaine hippos, ex-Russian submarines, remote-controlled, filled with 10 tonne of cocaine. They sink it and they fly it. They send it out the rivers into the Pacific, where it's met and taken into North America. So too could narco-terrorists pack a cocaine, pack a mule full of explosives and sail it one mile from Pascagabajos into Cartagena Harbour and do a lot of damage to USS America. I think that was an anti-narco drone looking for submarine terrorist activities in the weeks prior to USS America pulling in for one of the biggest naval operations in Colombian history. How about that? That's uh, that's real interesting because you you mentioned earlier that people were complaining their TVs were being interfered with, and that would do that. That would yeah. If it's trying to scan the river for looking for subs or looking for any kind of terrorist activities, at the, uh, so so this is it. This is when it goes bananas. So here's me. I wrote this UP Columbia. Look at that. I solved a UFO sighting. This is probably again a military American military tech. And lo and behold, two years ago, send you a link for this one. Art on a major Colombian news station, live from Pascagoulas. There was no USS America, but what happened was this: hundreds and hundreds, and you have to see this. It's hysteria. All the villagers are jumping and shouting all over the reporter because the night before, not only had the blue UFO returned, I told you this isn't my beliefs, these are stories. The town was terrorized by a black horned demon who was running around killing sheep, threat coming in, knocking holes in people's roofs, setting fire to doors. Hundreds of reports said they saw. So, of course, now. Pascagoulas is not just home to ovnis, but it's also home to exactly the same organic phenomenon 
that what's this fellow's name? James, the phenomenon producer director. James Fox, yep, from uh, is Virginia, away in Brazil, from Brazil yep. doing exactly the same thing. Whereas light show in the sky, and then you have horned things running around. So I thought, here was me, goes and solved some kind of thing here with American military tech, but the UFOs turned up since, and there hasn't been a USS America. So you know, you don't know what's going on because the Americans are flying drones around the north coast in the Caribbean there. I've read several papers that were released by the American... In 2002, there was a series of drones that were released. And um, since then, through this Plan Columbia, they're testing lots of stuff up there. However, what the planetary... The, the chap who's the director of the... Her man who's director of the... Guys, I'm going to have to pause. The battery's just dead on this one second. On you go, mate. So we can talk about American military tech and drones and all these things we want. But when I'm here, and her man, you know, the head of the planetarium and all of most of the aviation authorities have this real open willingness to discuss this OVNI UAP thing. You know, as I said, I'm on an island to even mention skepticism because the thing is, it's kind of hard to say you don't believe. I think beliefs are the curse and all this, right? It's like if you state that you believe in one thing, everything you hear then is referenced against this belief that you have. Where And, you know, bad science starts with conclusions and then looks for the evidence. And when we're younger, we do bad science the way we, that we think, you know, in a topsy-turvy way. But I think, not believe, I think, that when you take this idea of try, of looking for evidence to support your beliefs, but just looking for evidence for the evidence sake, the frustrating thing with it is there's no this, 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 and this equals this. Even the cleverest people on the planet at the moment are this, this, and this equals question mark. And it's really, really difficult then to, to even... That means there's no evidence for any of it, right? That essentially means there is no evidence. Otherwise we'd all be communicating with the thing or we'd be playing with it. So it takes a brave scientist or a brave researcher or a brave person to say, I'm involved in talking about this whole thing. I'm up to my neck in it, discussing it, playing with it. But, but, but is it, but is it is the question, you know? And I think from, anyway, I was going to say, yeah, like for, from my point of view, like starting a podcast on it, it's, there's a, a whole lot of ways you can go with a conversation, but to, to be someone who's really putting themselves out there in terms of you know making a documentary, which you're you're about to be doing, Aye. that's that's putting your face out there for the, the the topic and the conversation. And like I'll just put out there, Skinwalker Ranch, the series on history. I asked Brandon Fugel, you know, what happens if you've got three months of filming and nothing happens on the ranch? You know, oh, they've yeah. still got a documentary to make. That's yeah. there's a I, danger there. No, I can't. I'm. I struggled with this before our interview thinking, what if Andy asks me, because I've made TV shows, anything about Skinwalker Ranch, and I'd rather go over it. I'd rather leave it and get on my own documentary because History Channel... Right, what I'm about to tell you about my documentary project depends on 10 people stumping up a few quid to make it work without a preconceived destiny. History Channel have advertisers that are spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year to make sure there's people watching and rivet them for after the break. And 
things happen in mainstream TV that I, I would feel like I'm the guy who's learned the magic tricks and he's the way they're showing how all the tricks work for me to say to you. But I think it's really important that when people watch mainstream TV, even me on Discovery, you're watching entertainment. It, you're being entertained. And, and I dare say... Skinwalker's got a future because it's so popular. It's, you know, but you know, I think Skinwalker's like a. It's almost like Oak Island, the Curse of Oak Island, Mark Two. The format works, you know, but the devil comes when you know, as you just said there, when nothing happens. Because you know, if the if a, no, let's not go. This is me going to start with Skinwalker. No, no, that, that's Skinwalker fine. And it's just yeah. not fair. It's just not on because. So many people like the thing and it introduces people to the phenomenon and it was ancient aliens that got me involved in all this stuff at the start because I just loved it. But what it does to the imagination, you know. And But I'm just not the guy that's going to be on screen with a laser pointer and an EMF reader trying to tell people that there's something going on around me when there's not and I'm going to get angry. So let's stop. Okay, well, listen, yeah, let, let's, what I was going to come back to anyway was let's talk about what you will be doing. So yeah. phenomen, phenomenology, which is the easiest word in the world for me to say, oh. uh, is is a project that you touched on with Vinny and I heard a little bit about it, but we're going to speak to people now who haven't heard about it. And uh-huh. as part of this, I want to just say to the audience, we're, we're going to be mentioning something for, for Dan as well here. And that it does involve the podcast and stuff as well. So please uh, bear with us while we go over a really interesting project, but also how you, yes, you listening right now, could potentially help out as well. So um, what, how did this all come about? Uh, let's talk about phenomenology. Mm-hmm. Phenomenology is um, the name of a current, or it's in process, our next documentary project here in Colombia. What we're going to do, so let me tell you why then. Let me answer your question why this came about. When I moved here five years ago, everybody talked about Colombia's UFO hotspot, a mountain called La Peña de Huayca. Huayca was an ancestral goddess of the moon. This is a breast-shaped mountain. You can see it out the back of me here, this breast I don't know if you can see it. Yes, there, see it? This breast-shaped mountain right there. The top of it is known as the Puerta de los Dioses, the gateway of the gods, because legends say the sun god Bochica came through to this time, through the top of the mountain, from a place that time forgot. From a place that time forgot. So in modern day mythology, this is Columbia's UFO hotspots and an interdimensional portal where things come through. This is when it gets interesting. This, to me, is all just modern mythology and fun. Until I come here and do a bit of researching and find that as early as 1608 AD, the mountain here was known, was baptised by Spanish colonists in a village called Tabio. They baptised it as El Suro El Cerro con Luz Dizantes, the Hill of the Dancing Lights. So as far as 400 years ago, lights, unexplainable, have been reported on this hill. Now, from that time, when it was called, the indigenous people called it the the doorway of the gods, the whole way through, the lights have been reported 400 years and an entire local mythology is built up around them. The lights are known to the indigenous people of Colombia as El Mohan, the Mohan, are the spirit lights. They're the, the, the way that the indigenous people interpret the lights of the valley here 
are that they are the souls of dead shaman transitioning from this world to the next. And they do that through the tip of this mountain where the light phenomenon is seen. So myself and Nadi, we had a house to about a kilometre further back into the valley. We rented when we first came here and we couldn't see this mountain. We took the dog out for a walk and we could see the mountain. However, we weren't seeing it 24-7. And then three years ago, four years ago, started this new business. I fly scientists and students to Colombia now. And we go, I guide them into the Andes, into the mountains, looking for archaeology. For I'm into ancient botanics. I'm into traditional plant cures, medicines. So we do lots of different projects out filming. And I began filming and forming this really intimate relationship with Waika. So... My historical role, I mapped out the alignments of the local temples and the shrines when everything orientates around Waika. And Natty and I decided two years ago, our love for this location and the area and all the bits, let's build a house. So we built this, where we are just now, this log house and it sits here and it looks over Waika. And lo and behold, the 14th of February last year, I'm a photographer. I was out with my camera and it was 11.05 at night and there it was on the top of the mountain, on the very peak of the tip. I watched this slow, dim, pulsing light and it absolutely turned me upside down, boys. I was just, it was that moment where uh, it was the, this is it, the, the, where your the blood runs out of your skin. It's like, do you know how it felt? This is seeing the light. It felt like this. It was like when you turned the corner in high school and you're on your own and the bully was there. Where your whole thing just freezes. And I saw this and I snapped it because I was there with my camera because I was prepared for it. We've heard about all this. We're out there. So I've got my camera out. I film all day and night. And I got it. And then it just came out this blur circular light but I snapped a second later at a faster shutter speed and photographed which is is bizarre it looks to be some form of plasma manifestation that I suppose you can interpret as a form a human form however over the next year over the next eight months ending now I photographed 19 different light manifestations at different parts of the mountain, averaging about two a month. I've also recorded the temperatures it was, the time, everything has been recorded around each of the sightings. And now here's the thing. With a mountain that represents the highest mountain in Cundinamarca in Colombia, it's been associated with mysteries, UFOs, spirits for 400 years. Wouldn't be uncommon to see people up there hiking, right? With torches. And this whole sceptical part of me wants to believe that what I'm doing is photographing hikers with torches. However, we've got two photographs, which I'm keeping for the documentary. I'm not going to publish them in UP Columbia show anyone because they are so bizarre. It makes me question everything. And they're just... Do you hear that? <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> the, great timing. the cows want it back. <laughs> um, 
So, so, so I, that cow threw me there. Where, well, sorry, where was I? You were saying you've got the two photographs that are extremely bizarre. Got these two photographs, and we have a video from somebody who lives further up the valley. And I've the the lights are generally reported as a green or blue iridescent flash. Sometimes reported going from one mountain top to the other. However, Natalia Doss, we call her. She's filming us with us with two Natalies. She filmed something in the valley against a mountain, and it's. I have. It's. We're going to present it in the documentary, and it's the most bizarrely bright blue light pulsing and irradiating out of this rock. And we're going to. We've got permission to go to that exact location, to metal detect there, to film there, to to watch it overnight. So, but here's the thing: what we have here in the valley is one of the most highly charged magnetic mountain ranges in the Andes. We have a Miguel, my friend, whose grandfather was a geologist who wrote a report on the geology of the mountains coming out here to help us with the documentary research because it turns out that there's more gold and copper and iron in this mountain here than in any of the surrounding mountains. There's a complete under, underground hydrology, okay? Lots of people think that the ovnis or the UFOs go into this mountain, that they have a complete complex, an entire space in there. But what there, what there is definitely in there are lagoons. So we're in, in phenomenology, coming back to basics, this is what I want to do, is rather than making a UFO, because I want the, I'm making this for UFO fans, for, for viewers of UFOs and UAP. I'm not trying to hide away behind this UAP thing. Well, here's the reason why is, I want to make a UFO film for UFO people that doesn't start with UFOs are real and how hard can I hit that home? Mm. I want to start with here is a light phenomenon which is now perceived as UFOs. What might that phenomenon be? So therefore, rather than me bringing out like my sort of hero's handbag doesn't have Lazar and Elizondo in. I've got a hydrologist and a geologist. I've got a, metro, a metrologist and we've got a museologist. And we've got this call out now, which is where we're going to start to talk to Dan is, I think to have all of our ologists in place to review the footage we've got, the, the main drive in the project is to try and put U, what I call UAP controls in place, where we're going to do this. MechWest is a hundred percent right to say that the, the 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 real UFO report must supply two independent pieces of evidence from two electronic devices or monitoring stations. We've got two amazing one hundred year old traditional Colombian mansions. We've got the mansion and we've got our new house. Two different views off the mountain, separated by four de- three degrees. What we want to do is put four policemen up there one night with a range of torches. We want the policemen to walk down all of the available paths while the team are using thermal cameras and filming this. Then we're going to be able to reference all other future and current that we've got light phenomenon against this control map. But at the same time, this week is the, is the week one year later from when I filmed this a year ago, three times in the first week, and this is what's important there is, if the sceptic community is right and if this is climatological and it's a phenomenon 
with, there's a phenomenon known as the Andes lights that's reported in Chile, which is a corona light. You know, it's not unusual. There are several types of lighting effects that can happen on mountains. It's just nobody's proven that this is what's here. You know, no one's photographed it or, well, there's thousands of anecdotal eyewitnesses. No one's actually captured it on film. So um, we've got the ologists who are all going to come out here and help put these controls in place. But more importantly to me as a storyteller filmmaker is, is how people think and approach these types of subjects. So we've designed the documentary that we've got four people that are heroes, they're drone pilots, we've got two. We've got Walter, who's a remote sensing scientist in America, so a drone and an optical guy. Then we've got John O'Adams, who's an ex-Royal Engineer. He's here doing safety and stuff. But the thing is, we've got, we want five or six members of the public who just have a full-on love of UFOs, a full-on love of being sceptic, an absolute determined belief that these are ghosts and it's nothing to do, the mohanis are what they are, these are spirits and it's nothing to do with UFOs. I want to make a film where each day we go and visit a reported sighting location where we know either I have photographed lights or someone else has shown us a video where there's lights. So we go to a site, gather evidence, have a look, discuss the site, what might be there that's creating this effect. And then in the afternoon, we're going to back and film what we're called, we're just going to call them roundtable debate, discuss and debunk sessions, where we're going to hear everybody's interpretation of the same thing. And what I want to try and then put out to the UFO community is, if you're banging a table today saying, I know this is UFO, I know this is Pleiadian, I know this is interdimensional, I'm, you need to just stop. Because it's you're the only person that thinks that. Every human you'll meet in the UFO community in this world is a different interpretation of what's going on, and that's what I want the film to show. How it's a personalised thing, how it can be altered in a group setting. I want to show that too. By in different, I'm not going to play some crazy James Bond baddie, but I am going to experiment. If I've got a group of 12 ufologists in my room and people in this field, um, and we've got local visitors, people are going to try and get this girl, Maria Alvarez, the, the, the captain. However, we have other locals who have the most mind-stimulating photographs and experiences of this um, light phenomenon. However, I'm going to tell you it's wonderful is, if I go over to the shop, which, God willing, Dan, you'll be at my shop, we go to the shop and I ask the girl, the lady in the shop, have you seen the lights recently? She goes like this. She quickly does the cross and she says, Santo Thomas. She thinks it's the soul of St. Thomas and they see it all the time. And then we've got Julio who does the stay in the gardens and stuff. And he immediately is like, this is what's funny. He'll go, nah, it was too fast for a saint. It had to be a UFO. You know what I mean? It's like everybody has their own determined thing. And that was what I want to show through the film. But... I do have photographs and films that I believe represent the first time genuine light phenomenon in the air, UAP, have been filmed, and they're sharp. We've got sharp films, and we, we do publish a lot in UAP Columbia, but this, I've got this real drive to try and photograph it again, because if it's climatological, it's going to happen there at the same time of the year, the change of the seasons. Now, this is the thing. I photographed these lights three times in February, 
when the season's changing from hot to wet, so there's a lot of geological thermal activity. Tabio, the little town, has the thermals there. You can go and... St so there's lots of stuff going on here. But I've got to say this. This is where it's where I want to, where, it, where I find it fascinating. It's a light phenomenon, is all we can say, and it's been reported for 400 years. It's a light phenomenon reported for 400 years. But I don't think we can separate the light phenomenon on the mountain here from the Tic Tac, the Tic Tac sighting last year going round this mountain from the Air Force captain. And then these cases of the discs and the Project Blue Book carry on, these things that have been reported here, I think they're quite possibly all part of one thing. But when that one thing is seen in different perspectives and from different places, that that one thing takes on a different appearance. Because I can show you two photographs, from one from March, and you can look at it and go, my goodness, Ash, that is a silver disc. Look, it's even got the shape of a UFO. But then I can photograph it the next month and it quite clearly appears to be in a, a human form, the way that that light's moving, however it's moving, however I've captured it. So it, it this whatever we're photographing here, I think it might represent what everyone's talking about, this the phenomenon. I don't like the phenomenon. I think it's phenomena, plural, many. But... I think everybody's seeing the same thing. So what I want to do is put 12 or 10 different eye sets of eyeballs and mindsets and belief systems and against this whole thing here because we've got something to play with. I don't have to go out with EMFs. No one's going to hold an EMF. If I go past my fridge with an EMF, it's going to give me a definitely a spirit. And if I take a laser pointer out, if I take a laser pointer out and try and shoot at things here, we're going to have the Columbian Air Force come around and arrest us. You can't shoot laser pointers at planes. but And we don't need to do that to create false drama. And here's a really cool thing, Andy. I'm going to thank you for this before I shut up about Dan talk. It's this. Folks, part two will continue after a few words. You could save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, but when we just come out and say it, it feels like it falls a bit flat. So we're going to tap into human emotion. First with some music. Then, in a serious tone, I'll say, save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. And even though it was about saving money with Progressive, we'll fade out the music so you know it was poignant. Wow. Powerful stuff. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. From our sponsors, if you're on Patreon, Apple Premium, or Spotify Premium, you won't hear any ads. Otherwise, we'll see you back here in just a minute. I asked Natty last week after listening to you, I said, do you think it's possible for me to make a documentary without any music? You know where I'm going here. I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she said, why? And I said, because, because I says one of the biggest UFO podcasters in the world is going to hate it. And it's really problematic because I like my bombastic music to carry story, but I do believe for the first time, I've got a story here that's going to be so rich with characters. You should see some of the people that are coming. They've got so much to say. And as well, they're balanced. A lot of time to listen to. We don't have any narcissists. It's been well chosen. But it's, um, aha, uh -huh. I was going to say, so you you hate music, Dad. You hate music, Andy. You think it is a massive distraction. And I totally agree. I think it's there to support weak narratives. Do you agree? When it's When it's there for the entirety of the production, um, I've yeah, I've I've never really seen that before in anything myself. 
Yeah. And having breakouts to go into things like conspiracies and all that, we won't, we don't need it. And I, 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 you know, I won't be using sort of intros into the episodes going, here's the UFO that was seen in 1959. This is the phenomenon in the Tabio Valley that everybody plays with here and has reported for 400 years that we've got on film and photographed. And we're just taking this sweet end, like we've got a 1,500 mil astronomical lens like Walter's taken. I've never seen, it's like a, I don't know how, it's like an oil barrel. We've got thermal cameras. We've got like 30 or 40 grand's worth of optical visualization equipment all tucked away, get used for that week. So it's a really, really big effort in by all the people that are coming, you know. This is a self-produced indie documentary. We're not sure where we're going to even lay this, whether we're going to try to sell it, where we're going to put it on YouTube yet. But the point is, Dan, you said it last night, sir, in your 22-minute podcast, and I worship you for it, sir. It is this. Action now. Action now. How would we let this go past us when the world's talking about UEP and we're photographing bizarre light phenomenon? So we're we're right there in that front line of taking action. And while it's not directly related to the Tic Tacs and the Nimitz incident or Rendlesham or Roswell or RL in Africa, it's not classic UFOgraphy, UFO, UFOlogy. But what it is, is it's getting out there, having fun with a bunch of people that are all capable of adding does maybe taking this a step forward because I think between 12 of us we'll be able to put a shape around this whole thing it, it's really important work um you, you know you mentioned it already but yesterday I did I went and Biden signed it it's the starting gun for this kind of work to to be done you know these mysteries are yeah. out there whether it's um, Hestalen Valley whether it's you know the the dancing lights of Tabia whether we're looking at the Logdendale lights these phenomena, you know, you can go on YouTube and find so many documentaries about them, but they're just documentaries about mysteries. They never try and, you know, flip that guess who face down on the board. And it's an opportunity to actually do that with a phenomena and at least figure out, you yeah. know, on the balance probability, is this prosaic? Is it worth looking at more? Or is it, you know, did we see a few observables there? I, I think it would be very interesting to throw so many different beliefs at that. I should, I should, Dan, I, I, to, I totally agree with you. I should say, I think maybe me taking all the credit for this is wrong. This is the this is the thing now. Alfrasio Vernal was the head of the Geological Society of Colombia for 20 years. Alfrasio died last March of coronavirus. I spent New Year's Eve with him for three days with her family three years ago. It was Alfrasio that told me about the phenomenon. The head of the Geological Society is him that turned me on. And he was of the mind that he, here's the thing. This, he's off the mind that it's UFOs. Head of the G, he's got a book published on my desk there that talks about the indigenous sightings of UFOs going back 400 years. But he, it was him that switched me on to and said that it's, it's not just a film, but he goes, if we can, if we can understand what the mysterious light of Waika is, he said, conceive this, Ash. He said, what if it's a free, electricity source for the world that we don't yet know what if that burning light that these lights that have been seen above mountains could serve as a form of wi-fi communications so he said what stirs his mind is whether it turned out to be otherworldly or not you can't be having 
coronas of energy burning above mountains and moving back and forth and show no interest. You're implying that you're imaginatively dead, you know? Yeah, that's, I, I mean, I, I agree with him completely. It, it's sad to hear that he uh-huh. passed away because it would be wonderful. You know, it sounds like he, he'd take oh, part in the project, uh, you know. Dan, it was because it was the 14th of February last year. I photographed it for the first time. And Natty and I, were the friends of my wife's family, we called them up and it was like, we've got a photograph of the light. Not only that, but we've got two more packet. And he was in hospital and pulmonary and gone two weeks later. So he never saw the photo. Alfredo never saw my picture of the light after a lifetime of geology. So what Alfredo did do, and I'm going to present this when everyone's here, is this. We've correlated, you know how people, skeptics will quite quickly write off a UFO sighting as ball lightning. This is the word, ball lightning. Well, we've, if you break it down, there are 11 at least different types or forms of ball lightning that happen under different climatological circumstances. So at our debate, discuss, we're going to have our geologists present two or three of the different kinds of ball lightning, there's neuroparticle fields, there's neuron clouds, there's phosphine clouds, there's all sorts of different phenomenon. There's psychological phenomenon, and there's a new one just now which we've got to consider, and this is a really cool one. This is not ufology, this is climatology, but there's a Japanese scientist at the moment who's working with plants on hills, and what he's suspecting is that on highly charged magnetic mountains with a high magnetic load, is that when the air above them is charged magnetically, that there's that the root of the plant is serving as almost like an earth cable. And what he's saying is there's, there's an upward thrust in response to the downward strike of the electricity that's operating in, on a kind of on a quantum level, if you like. And this the quantum result of this upward thrust from the magnetism is a corona. And he claims he can repeat it in the lab now by taking lump of mud roots and he can form light above it. So we've got, here's the thing, ufologists aren't going to love that episode, but isn't that interesting? That's to fascinating. Us, what we need to do is get up there and get tree samples and look and what's burnt, what's not. Here's where I photograph the light most often, three times in this area. What state are the plants in? Has there been a lot of lightning strikes here? Is there a hole with a shaft? Is That's what we need to do is go to these sites and just use our collective observing skills to not look for evidence of UFOs, but to look for evidence of the light. And lo and behold, who knows, we might present the first evidence of UFOs, but I think that's going to come from looking for answers rather than you know a determined sort of pre-concluded set of evidence yeah 100 and and i think you know uh avi loeb would agree with us as well you know that's where he's starting from it's not ufos not it's we're so gonna look at what's there i was gonna say i'm not doing this so i can get a job i said tonight he said can you believe it that weinstein two days ago weinstein's now joined the the whole movement and you've got loeb and everyone else <laughs> And she said, if you're as clever as they are, so would you, because they're about to make a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, listen, I think it's time to get to to the point I was trying to make before as well, because that's a wonderful yes. encapsulation of phenomenology, what it's about, why you're doing it. And that's that's great because there's so many documentaries have been made and produced over over the years and decades that I think I'm not a filmmaker or, you know, or anything like that. But when I watch something, I think, you know, why was that made? Has mm-hmm. it added anything to the conversation? And the answer can be yes, it can be no. Especially after James Fox made the phenomenon, I think it set a very high standard and high bar for documentaries. To the point, James Fox's follow-up, he said himself, isn't going to be released in cinemas. It's a very specific investigation on the case in Virginia and Brazil, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So I think the idea in what sounds like phenomenology is going to be is a really interesting deep dive and look into one particular area or case or phenomenon that could be related to so many other things as well. And that's the sort of team you've put together yeah. to look at it from a lot of different angles. We know Vinnie totally. Adams from Disclosure Team is going to be involved, um, our friend and colleague from UAP Media as well, obviously. Uh, but there is the opportunity, like you said, for for normal folks to get involved. And the details for that, what we'll discuss as well briefly, and we'll stick the description in as well. But um, I, uh, you, and obviously Dan himself, uh, we'd like to send Dan along now, you've been really honest and said it's it's not free. You know, you've got to get from wherever you are to Colombia, and then obviously there's 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 expenses when you're there as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say just for the minute, Dan, because I'd like to do it first for you. Um, Dan has managed to at very late notice, given this this kind of happens in six weeks from now, managed to get about half the money already himself. Um, that's that's quite an undertaking at this time of year. Um, so what we're going to do is is put out for a little bit of crowdfunding that if people can contribute, um, we, we'd like to try and raise whatever we can to, in the next kind of three to four weeks because that's uh, the kind of time I have to be booking flights and everything else to yeah. get Dan out to Colombia to be involved in this project. And again, what I'd like to say on, on my behalf is Dan represents a lot of people. People keep saying they're on the podcast, they appreciate his his honesty, how he talks about the subject, his passion for it. And I suppose what I would say to anyone who can help and contribute, whatever it might be, whatever you can give or whether you you can't and you just want to get involved and watch the documentary, Dan would be representing someone like yourself out there with his experiences and also just he's going to be creating content for the podcast when he's out there as well. So we'll get some stuff Mm -hmm. on location, not to spoil what's going to be happening, but you're going to get a pretty unique experience and take on, on his whole experience as well. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I, I mean, it it would be beautiful to be able to go and contribute to actually solving one of these mysteries. And to almost try and set an example of, you know, after I said, do the work, I want to go do the work. You know, so it will be amazing for, for people to enable me to do that. Like Andy said, I'm a, I'm a halfway there anyway. Um, so fingers crossed. I'm going to give a sh- I've got to appeal as well to everybody listening to this. I didn't know you were going to do this just now. Let's be honest, Andy, you did not tell me you were going to do this. I knew Dan and I have been talking about him coming to Columbia. But can, I think I'm going to broaden out from just you, Dan, and put you in as a twosome. I don't think anybody listening to this show just now, whatever they think of me or you, Andy, would disagree that Dan and Vinny together in a documentary investigating, discussing too much red wine at night. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think it would be great TV. I think it would be great to have two people that are such great faces or public faces of the UFO community being here to cover... And to speak and to stream from here, and when we've got things going on and 
God willing, we get a live sighting when everybody's here. All action stations going. It'll be amazing to have that streamed outwards by you guys. But see what's important, Dan, is you're, you do represent, a, like you speak to, deliver to, and, you know, when Andy's interviewing people, you're there and you're kind of the voice of the audience a lot, I feel. And sometimes in what you're not seeing, you represent a voice of the audience. You're there, you're the listener. But I think you have to be able to confidently know you've at least been a one UFO UAP investigation because what you learn from this in a week is just, it changes your whole perspective on it. Let me just say, this is going to sound silly, but it's a, it sticks in my head. Just being out there actively looking at a hilltop for 12 hours a day and being on it and living with it, breathing it, you see and learn so much about the way nature works, about the way the clouds move, the way the trees and plants move with the changing days and times. Here's the thing. Natalia and I were on the balcony four months ago photographing Waika, and it was another one of those heart moments. This is what happened. I looked across to the garden next door. I saw what looked to be red lights going like this directly up in front of me and i started freaking going oh look again this is the what this is it we're all looking for this is the this is the time moment and she said what and i said look i said the ufo the disc it's coming up from the garden it's over the hill it's between us and the mountain she didn't she shake her head she said it's a, it's a plane and i said planes don't go straight up she said no it's really, really far away, and it's coming towards us. I mean, what are you talking about? And there, my brain farted, and I saw it for what it was, and it, was, it wasn't going like that next door to me. It was going like that a really long way away. And see, having experienced that, if I was on my own, my life would have changed. I'd be well telling everybody I saw a UFO based on an Avianca flight leaving Bogota Airport. The, going through these kind of things repeatedly for a week and being challenged, and I think I saw that, you saw that, and looking at my videos and photographs that I've compiled here, what I'd love to do is not be sneaky, but I'd love to. If I was to take Dan into a room in the documentary and go, Dan, I'm not going to provoke you in any way, tell me what you think is on that photo, and do that 12 times to the 12 people, we've got an amazing show coming together because it'll show you What's going? How people? Everybody, everybody sees something differently, and I think by seeing how that works, we'll be in a closer place to going. Well, then, what commonalities are there? What what do what does everybody see? What did everyone agree with? And you know, so it's much about filming people's approach to phenomenology as it is about the actual lights itself. It's about getting Dan and Vinny in a room together with a drone pilot from the American military, because while it's easy to talk out towards a bunch of UFO believers about this stuff might be a bit difficult, Dan, talking with a drone pilot from the USO military who's going to be like, now nah, we're flying these things all over the Nimitz incident, that's it. You want to get that? I want to get that on film. I want to see your reaction to being told that if that were to happen. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah, no, it sounds it sounds really exciting and productive and just worthy of pouring a whole load of energy into. So, yeah, f- fingers what crossed. What do people have to do? What do people have to do, Andy, to get Dan here? You reckon you're about halfway there, Dan? About halfway there, yeah, I'd say. I should have, say, uh, you know, I know nobody in ufology likes anybody making any money from ufology. Poor Elizondo's about to get dumped now. He's going to charge for a book, right? Yeah. And and here's the thing. You know how much we're charging here, Dan. We aren't all making money here. We're paying for 
a 100-year-old mansion and for cleaners and cooks so we can all get fed and watered brilliantly when we're all making the film and we've got transport and then three months of editing after it. So if you were to multiply what you're paying times six, you know, we're not, it's not about the money. This is about what I always say is this is season two. The, the guys that are coming, are, we're going to make a film on the hope that we make something so magic and new and original that maybe season two will start making money. Who knows? But we're certainly not hanging about waiting to do it because we don't have the funds. We're going to all fund ourselves. And I should say this to you, Andy and Dan, you should both think about this. If Dan's going to be maybe streaming or presenting or we can have him interview the, the people out here, the witnesses, do anything we want. Dan will become a co-producer in the documentary. You know, you're paying your way here, but you will also become a co-producer in the documentary, which means you get all the edits and you can go, uh-uh, don't like the way you've made, don't like the way this episode's coming out. And so there's, you'll be, you're not just involved in a week in Columbia. For that amount of money you're looking for, you're involved in it until it's airing, and then some, right? And, and that's not just, you know, I mean, obviously that's personally quite cool to be like, you know, I, I help produce a UFO documentary, but also yeah. that means that, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have a high bar when we're looking at this stuff because it is an incredible thing if if they are UFOs. Um, and yep. that will, you know, I expect there are other people to get that chat too, so it all helps contribute to just a higher bar for the whole documentary. So I, I just think if the community okay. wants to see, you know, some some people from the community go and throw the best we got at this, then th- uh, this is this is our best bet. You know, it starts here. Yeah, and if anybody else from your community, if you've got some real hardcore followers of people you know, you know, they can go to. Should we? You could put a link up there for where they can go for this. It's on my history fuzz platform phenomenology yeah. and. You know, we are looking for public participants too. I think we've got three booked solid already, but we've got another three. And so far, we've got a German, two Americans, we've got a Scottish fella, we've got Dan, we've got Vinny. We should mention Vinny here. I think it's great fun to have Vinny out here too. He's just. You know, Vinny and I had such a great time in London London, that he he would make a fantastic travel buddy. Yeah, I think so. You know, I started. I think in the in this community, if you call it the UFO, I like I like the fact it's called the UFO a UFO community. I often think a community is defined because the doors are open and everyone can come in, and I think that's just the way it works. I got in touch with. I think a year ago, before I had my operation, I got in touch with Dan, Andy, and Vinny, the three of you, and no, and now look what we're doing together. You know what I mean? It's quite something. I've not been shotgunning myself out to every platform and sundry but the three people I knocked on the door with there's great things happening with and Vinny's been really good since the start with UEP Columbia he was helping share stuff and he was involved in some of the research on these OVNI sightings up in Pasca Caballos and those things I was because I was coming finding all sorts of things that I didn't have a clue what they meant do you remember when you got first introduced to ufology when you first got addicted if you like and everything comes so quick and you find out about Betty and Barney Hill and the next thing is oh my god they are ill and you've got to go through a lot to really understand what stands up what doesn't what's yeah. what what happened there I, I surprised everyone in UAP media the other day by saying that I spent a, a lot of time on the platform Gaia and pretty much I think I watched oh, every you? single thing they have and that includes uh-huh. David Wilcock or good you know all those things 
but now it means that I have an informed opinion of those things. You know, it, it's not that uh, I just kind of, you know, have a knee-jerk reaction to David Wilcock. I fully know the story okay. he's selling and how he speaks about things as if they're, you know, uh, storyboards for films. And I'm just like, yeah, I know your language and I, I'm really experienced with it. And, you know, I can see, I can see what you're doing. But it's beneficial, you know, it wasn't a waste of time. I find I've, I've got a real voyeuristic streak where I probably listen to more people I disagree with than that I agree with. Because I find people with, even though I don't harbor many myself, I see beliefs as the kind of thing that ties people up in life. I like to avoid that if at all possible. I, I, I like the morals and the principles, but I can function without this belief thing that seems to distort. But I love folk with beliefs. I love folk that are just hardcore Bigfoot guys or interdimensional guys. I love listening to someone ranting for two hours because it makes you, it you see a reflection of yourself and you can compare yourself to how extreme other people are. And if you were listening, in a world of listening to everybody that agreed with you, it'd be awful boring, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And listen, as we get close to the end of our time here, uh, and I want to finish off on the quick fire, just to mention, there will be a link in the description for dan's crowdfunding and um, we're just going to work out exactly what it's going to be uh, in terms of a website um so that's that's great we'll get that on there it'll be on social media it's one of those things it's if we can make it happen it would be fantastic a great opportunity for dan but also for the podcast as well um and i know ash you've spoken should... very passionately about it yeah i think i should quickly say though on the financial side of things if you're asking the public to pay for dan i, I want to be straight up and say it now is we already took every single thing away from that. We've got down to how much it's going to cost him for him to eat his oranges at breakfast. You yeah. know, we've already put in our 30% or 20% or whatever might have come off the end of it if there was anything, you know? Yeah, we it's not a, we're not sending here. Dan on a if week. Anybody can, it's not an all-inclusive holiday for a week to Dubai, you know. It's, no, it's a working It's a working holiday. holiday. I just happen yeah. to love the job that I'm kind of happen to have now. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You just happen to be swinging in hammocks for breakfast for chicks pounding <laughs> you down to keep you cool. <laughs> we'll make sure he's kept busy. Um, but listen, Phenomenology, you will find the details for it within the description of this uh, episode. You will make sure it's all over online as well. And hopefully, as and when Dan goes out, you'll be hearing updates from it. Vinny will be putting updates out on his channel, no doubt, as well. And as and when the time comes, we'll have Ash back on to discuss updates, how it went, how it's going. Hopefully, an update of how it's going at the time as well from Ash. And then, once it's made, we can get him back on to to talk about it. I'd love to do something by the end of January before Dan comes out. And what I would like to do then is announce the final 10, 12-man team. Yeah, that, that would be that great, would be yeah. Cool. Just That'd that would be great. Because there will be streaming when we're doing it. You know, we want the public to join in when we're doing the thing and be part of it, really. We'll discuss how to make that work best. But you're saying there about we wouldn't want to divulge location and stuff. That's not going to be a problem. We're going to set sites each day. So our social stuff and hanging about the mansion and mucking about at nights and stuff can all be shared with the world at large. I think it's great if we did that. Listen, Ash, let's finish up on the quickfire round. Uh, a few things we've not managed to touch on within the body of the interview, but just to get your thoughts on, you listen to the podcast, so either a few words, sure. a few sentences, or whatever you want to say. So the first one would be the James Webb Telescope that's just gone up. What's your hopes? I'm a photographer, filmmaker, so I know that even Loeb's idea, including the James Webb Telescope, of shooting and fire of trying to 
snap or trap or capture data from space will only ever be such a fine needle thin hair through the size of the universe we're in that I don't think any I don't think it's going to come from there. You think though we're going to get some pretty cool images, aren't we? We might not be getting pictures oh of UFOs and whatnot, but goodness, we're going to see the origins of the universe. We will see the chemical makeup of the universe. Sorry, I thought if you were asking me if we're going to see little green fellas. No, do you know what? I've got that personal. Obviously, I would love us to see. Let's be realistic. The chemical composition of some planet we've never seen before yeah. that indicates, or we see a planet lit up at night with, well, you know. Um, lights that have been turned on and off that would be incredible you, you know Not the kind um, of, you know light bulbs it, it wasn't until they started putting satellites up that they realized that corn glows and now it's used to track all sorts of things because different kinds of corn glow in different ranges in the infrared light so with james webb being like mid to long infrared like they they, they could look uh, at a planet and see planet life living and breathing on it through the light that it's given off which is just incredible to think about yeah i think as a as a taking away the fact it's a telescope as a as a mark of human ingenuity and achievement yeah. engineering wise i mean if you consider that 60 you know how old are airplanes when did we get our first airplanes that were getting us a mile into the sky and now we're shooting into the cosmic origins beyond life and death and time it's really for a proud to be part of the civilized the, the, the time that we're part of a lot of people are down on what we do and what we are but yeah, we're pretty good with our work as a team. You touched on the next one slightly in what you talked about uh, in terms of that needle on top of the mountain and what may or may not be coming through are from different times. What's your opinion on on time travellers as being part of this phenomenon or the idea we have something coming from different timelines? The mountain is known as the Puerta de los Dioses. It's been associated with interdimensional time travel since Bochica the God was said to have come here. Personally, you ask me, personally speaking, is this. I need to, if someone asks me about time travel, I need to be a bit of a dick and immediately ask them back, which time do you talk about? This is what I mean. So there's objective time, which is the way solar time appears to move and how we appear to move through it, which is a sort of arrow forward, yeah? But then there's subjective time, which is how we perceive time, moving through objective time, whereby if I go and do 10 grams of magic mushrooms, my experience of time is going to be a lot different to the guy who hasn't, right? So we confuse time subjectively within. So, so we have to sort all that out before I tell you what I think about time travel. And that's boring. I'm being honest, dude. I just think people skip too quick to this idea of time travel, yes or no, where I think I think that we can time travel ourselves subjectively within our own conscious states, and my goodness you do, because you know what it's like yourself if you get the Wednesday morning phone call and somebody loved ones died or something else. Time can slow down to you can hear spiders crawl, right? And then you're super steaming, you're younger, you're at a nightclub, you're dancing the night away, eight hours is gone in what seems like a heartbeat. So back to your original question, do I think that the mountain is related in some way to time? Let me tell you about William Chavez. He's a systems engineer in Columbia who in 1998, William Chavez, for those searching, climbed to the top of Waika, 11 o'clock at night, 
he had an experience and he came back down the hill on the next day, told this to the Tabio police. This is on record in the Tabio police station. He said he was approached by a large blue light the size of him. It touched a tree. The light turned to orange. He stepped inside the light. This is William Chavez, not me. He said he experienced a race of tall, blonde, Nordic inter interdimensional beings. The, the classic ufology case, he said it gave him warnings about the way we were treating the mountain and that the mother goddess Chi and Bochica weren't happy and that the phenomenon was enraged and all this stuff related to ufology. And this is why I just love this. So while William Chavis was written off as a lunatic, that week in Tenho, the other village four miles down the valley, 13 people, 13 individual hikers individually and in groups reported having interacted with large blue lights and interdimensional beings. Isn't that great? So what on earth are people experiencing and seeing that gives them the memory, the, ex the impression, the experience, or the illusion, I don't know, of having interacted with interdimensional beings? You know, it's really particular to this mountain. So while I get all confused in this thing about subjective and objective time, most people around me here are quite happy to believe and say that Waikat is a doorway to another dimension called the Las Puerta de las Diosas, the doorway of the gods. And, you know, you see those lights flashing up there and doing their stuff. Really makes you think. I'll be honest, I'm a storyteller. I'm a Scottish guy, so I'm susceptible to these things. And it takes a lot when you're seeing this going on to not be just going down a helter-skelter. But I think that's what's good is I'm trying to produce a film and direct a film if I was telling you here that, yeah, these are interdimensional and they come from Pleiades and they're, uh, it's not going to be such a good film. I think I need to be kind of just where I am with that just now and not saying yes and no's. And time travel is beyond me. However, I do know that subjectively I travel time every time I daydream out the window. Fair enough. Thing. I like the answer. A lot of consciousness you touched on there. Um, so I touched on it, but I don't, I don't, I don't, a lot of folk go into consciousness. I've got, uh, you know, and I, I know quite a lot. Here's the funny thing. I, it's, uh, lots of people say when the bit consciousness comes up, they say, don't know so much about that. I don't really want to say, but I do. I know quite a lot. I've read lots about consciousness and what it is and where it is. And, you know, to me, consciousness is the amalgamation of the five senses. We have five senses. And with all those data streams coming in, we have a good old kind of approximation as to where we are within the world that we move through. And the amalgamation of that, I believe, no, I believe, it's kind of in science, is that that is consciousness. Interesting. And that that thing is represented psychologically by all the dreams, the imagination, the your world of ideas, the non-material, non-tangible things. People talk about being conscious, but, you know, the reason you can tell that consciousness is the amalgamation of five senses and not much more is because you can singe a part of someone's brain and make them smell the color pink. You know, you can do all sorts of experiments now to show that by altering the five senses, you alter the entire conscious experience. Anyway, off consciousness, back onto your shoots. Sorry about no, that. No, interesting. Like, you could almost have, we could do this again and have a whole show about consciousness, right? There's so much to dig into to. about it. D Dan, what we must do when you're here is meet indigenous cultures. I want to take you to an indigenous settlement and meet, let you meet people that have been in these territories for the last 9,000 years. And 
when you see how their consciousness operates and maybe indulge, maybe do some rapi, which is like they, they do this pure tobacco powder. They blow it up your nose like a snuff. You become so clear. It's like you've never had an enemy. Everything becomes different consciously. So I'd love to play with the consciousness out here and maybe go meet some indigenous folk and do a ceremony. Yeah, that would be special. Ceremony. I would love that. Yeah, because you actually change your consciousness. You go into these temple sites, come out four hours later, and everything is different. Your entire state of consciousness. It'd be really interesting to to, to play with all yeah, that stuff. Absolutely, definitely. If I get that, let's do it. I'd be very up for that. We can have the shaman. We can have a shaman and my friend from the indigenous community come down to the place we're staying, and he could maybe do something for us there one night. I could organize that once we got the participants. I'll be writing to everyone saying, "Do you want to do that, or would you rather do this, or?" whatever yeah very cool so biden has just signed in or should i say the president president biden has just signed in to law uh s1605 it's the uap bill that's going to give america a four-year fully funded uap office and i just wanted to ask you what your kind of what your hopes are for them for the office yeah um I hope that they produce the, at least their annual report on time and that they do that and it's not a, a summary report. What I think is really important for this new opportunity is this. America does represent the only country in the world that doesn't tell its nation, apart from UK, a thing about UEP or UFOs. It's quite wrong. Here, here's a good comparison. Every year in Brazil... The FAC, the Fuerza Aerial Brazil, the FAB, FAB, produce and publish publicly their UAP report, their Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon report. And it's amazing to read. It's just brilliant. It's two, 300 pages long. They take public photographs, aerial military witnesses, flare cameras, and they go through them. And they've got these two scientists, all right? Everybody knows who they are. They're kind of... They're like famous Mechwests in Brazil, you know? They're celebrated because the, it's mind-blowing what they do with these. You get these cool UFO reports, things, lights flying into volcanoes, stuff that goes on in America all the time, but they don't go anywhere. They hit Instagram pages. But in Brazil, because there's a great respectable department, the whole world, public, send all their images in, so they get two or 300 a year. The way they go through them, and the way they publish their pie chart at the end of the year, perhaps this is a little bit disappointing for ufologists, but it does raise a big question is this. Every year, 100%, would you believe this, 100% of the sightings are accounted for by the fab in Brazil, whereby it's balloon, it's bag, it's reflection. it's, And they, they do have this other section. They do have their little other section, but there's, it's... But it's um, not as sort of mysterious, if you like. It's not interpreted as mysterious as is in America. But the point is, Brazil is sharing its scientific processes of debunking, categorizing, and looking at visual phenomenon with its public, educating them. That report, it just, I'd love it. I keep going back to it. And I read, and they, they'll, like, there's one image in particular that just um, sticks in my mind. So you have the... A volcano in Mexico, this was actually sent from to Brazil, although it was Mexican. There's a large streak going into the top of the volcano, and it turns out that the camera was in a 30-second exposure, and it tilted back on the last second, so it pulled the moon into frame. But the astronomer, the, the scientist who was looking at this, 
I mean, really, you look at it and you're like, there's your UFO. It's been a while coming, but there's your picture. He went in and he zoomed in and he looked at the angle of the line of light. And he was able to compare that with a mast that was two mile distant, work out the width of the light and compare it with the moon and show that it was the moon pulled into sight. He went back to the photographer and the photographer admitted it and said, you know, you're right. The camera came back on the last. and But it's so good. There's not as much mystery as there is involved with American ufology where nobody knows anything. You know, it's either, it, it's just got, I think it's a wonderful chance for people, for them to say, here's a bunch of sightings and whether you like it or not, this, these were this, this was this, this was this. And I think it owes it to its public to be a bit more honest with that because, you know, if everybody from the, if there was, how many people in America, what you got, 400 million, 380 million I think somewhere in the region of 15%, isn't it? Was it last year it was published to have experienced or claimed to have seen a UFO or witnessed something unexplainable? You know, if that amount of people in a country were phoning up the White House and saying, we think there's Russians in our gardens, there's unexplained, it would be it would be a military exercise all over and there would be media coverage, the Americans would have to explain. I just think there's so much secrecy because it's associated so closely maybe with military but there's no reason that a country with that wealth and resources couldn't publish a really solid report to the public every year because it's not ufologists. I always think someone that's interesting in the UFO community is Graham Randell because he's not a UFO author. He's a military historian primarily. And do you know that a UFO report from Biden's government every year is not just going to satisfy ufologists, it's going to satisfy military historians visual optical scientists, filmmakers, everybody who would want to be interested in that UAP study. Because if it's not UFOs, what is it? Because we're all interested in that. What, these are drones? There's another 10 million drone pilots are interested in it. I think it's really, really important to see what these things are that are flying around. And I hope that comes now. If Brazil can do it on such limited budgets and social problems, surely too then America can do that. Ash, you have been incredibly generous with your time, and I think we could go another two hours, but we'll save that for the next time. Uh, I just want to finish up and ask, where can people find you and your work? You've mentioned the Instagram and, and Twitter, if you want to give out those kind of details on the website, of course. Yeah, I'll, I'm just going to be here all day. <laughs> no, <laughs> you'll get me. You'll get me on historyfuzz.com, and for Phenomenology is one of the menus there. You'll see it. You can come and register interest and we'll send you the details of the trip but it's historyfuzz.com awesome and obviously on instagram uap columbia twitter uap columbia and uh they're good accounts to follow and it's good to see how active you are as well and what you're contributing to the community like you say as a community as much as it's a dysfunctional family sometimes it doesn't always get on um it's, it's a the- lot of good people that UAP was a great way for me as I was recovering to, I was, I've made like, we just worked out last night. We've had over 1 million views on our YouTube video, on our Instagram wow. videos in less than a year. Congratulations. This is all ufology and UAP. Now here's the cool thing is not on one post that I, was there ever an Ashley Cowie there. Cause here's the thing. See when you do telly stuff, when people know it's you, it doesn't matter whether I present the Holy Grail and go, here you go. People are either going to like it or not, depending if they like me or not. And yeah. I think that's really sad because ufology and UEP stuff is so much bigger than any one person. 
So I did a year of posts there, which is all just working with ufology artists, you know, working with line drawings and visual artists. And I was taking DJs, big DJs in Colombia, and marrying them with visual artists in America and got Spava Barker's art there from UK and marrying it with music from drum and bass guys in Colombia. And it was all anonymous. And we, I managed to build up that really, really, really solid following based on the art for the art's sake, not on whether someone likes my, you know, the cut of my jib or not. Well, hopefully people like the cut of Dan's jib enough that they're going to help <laughs> help Dan get out to Colombia and get involved in this project, which I know will probably be one of, if not the best thing for him he'll have ever done in his life. So, Definitely. Um, <laughs> I totally agree. He needs to get away from your office. I think that was one of the cheesiest <laughs> links I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> the cut it's, of Dan's jib. It's, it's, it's nice the genius. I prefer the, gen- the genius of it. Um, but Aye, listen, sorry. Ash, awesome talking to you. It's been an absolute pleasure and we know you're going to be back on in the very near future uh, hopefully in the next you know. month or so so great speaking with you thanks so much for having me on it was just such a nice time spending the, the, the morning with the period thank you ash I, I hope we get to meet face to face soon oh we will that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Again, a date full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. Then I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was red. My boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should take care of me, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me.
You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just gotta turn out the light. Ow! 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 Ah! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. P please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, radio has been called theater of the mind. So let's tell a story with sound effects. <laughs> wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.